thank you for this opportunity that is given to me. Thanks for Pastor Abhi, who's uh, always encouraging me. And thanks for Paulos, uh, who has been inspiring in many ways. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us this privilege to study your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. When I say India, at least those who have visited India, what comes in your mind? Fiona, maybe? Eating with your hands. Eating with your hands. <laughs> yes, that's how you should taste your food. Finger licking, finger licking taste. Right. Anyone else? I think I. Dance. Yes. The dance. The dance. Okay, yes, yes. Watch out for the water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> India is such a vast country and, uh, and we are talking about micro communities, several ethnicities, several religions, several languages. When I think about Christianity that has come to India, one of the historians, um, church historians, describe the Christ's advent to India in this way, using Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. But this fullness of time that Paul talks about is not to be understood as a celebrative period. It is one of the darkest times in the, time, in the history of Israel, of course, living under Roman regime. Um, the people of Israel is no more a nation. They lost the privilege to worship freely in the temple of the living God, which means they lost the status quo of calling themselves as the people of God. And there is chaos everywhere, politically, spiritually, and theologically. But it is in such a time, God is so mysterious, it's in such a time, God sent his only son to intervene in the history of humanity and so also in the history of India. India is one of the marvels on the, on the face of our planet. We are talking about nearly 1.5 billion people with many, many states and religions, regions, and traditions and cuisines. I love Naga pork curry. Oh, it's so lovely. Especially, I, first time when I ate it, I ate with the king chili. You can expect what would have happened to me. So, it's blessed with this enormous diversity. And the electoral system, the voting <coughs> system itself, is a new age miracle. Almost every Indian feels obliged to vote. On the other hand, tolerance. We talk about tolerance today, but tolerance is wired into Indian culture. Uh, for instance, Indian secularism has this unique dialectical relationship between religion and secularism. Faith is not relegated to individuals' private sphere but it is very much part of public life. In a way, it is, 
it is relatively easy to reach out to people in India than here. Um, despite this diversity of India, God raised certain individuals, missionaries, uh, sent uh, to our land, and we're so thankful for that. And if you're asking for any evidence, you're looking at one now, speaking to you. There are aspects, there are few aspects I want to focus tonight. The first one is the first impact. I remember being ridiculed in my high school by my friends, and of course by my friends in the West. They say, oh, you worship a Western God, and you are not an Indian. That's what I get to hear, you know. Even now, some of my friends, they say that, you know. This is general misconception that my friends and many of my friends have had. However, Christianity first came to India by St. Thomas in 52 AD, who traveled to Malabar region in Kerala, a southern state of India. Later on, Apostle Thomas moved to Tamil Nadu, where uh, he was murdered by high caste Brahmins. He was buried there. And, and, and they have constructed a, temp, a, a, a church uh, where he was buried. Now, Thomas' work involved preaching, healing, and discipling, imitating his master's framework of ministry. Now, to reach out to this enormous country, with, which is heterogeneous in its nature, we need hundreds of Thomases, if not thousands. The Industrial Revolution and colonial expansion, one way or the other, um, assisted the advent of missionaries to India. Most missionaries who had come to India suffered greatly as they experienced a lot of pushback from indigenous people. We are not easy to get along in one way. So there was a lot of pushback and adverse climatic conditions. Uh, the climate that we see in Northeast India would have, it's quite different from what you see in South India. So probably I come from 50 degrees centigrade uh, climatic conditions. I perhaps, how, how was the, the, the worst climatic condition in your place? 40, okay. And the, I think Kohima is quite cold, cold place, which looks like a bit like Scotland. <laughs> yes. Right, so most missionaries, when they, when they have come, they have experienced these adverse climatic conditions, pushback from indigenous people, and at sometimes personal losses, and no basic facilities. Paul, would, you would understand when I say no basic facilities. So, unless God would have stirred their hearts, I don't think they would have come to, they would have had come to India. Unless God had planted that burden upon their hearts, it was impossible for them to come to India. And God was looking for such people who can go against all the odds. And Amy Carmichael was one among them. It's one of my favorite missionaries. I always quote, Amy Carmichael, a missionary from Ireland to India, in the late 1800s has been instrumental in rescuing little girls from temple prostitution besides evangelizing. She established the Donavar Fellowship in Tamil Nadu, a South Indian state. And this fellowship became a shelter 
for children rescued from the temples and became a sanctuary for them, a place of worship. Unfortunately, Amy met with an accident. She broke her leg and ankle and was bedridden for the next 20 years. Despite many requests from her family in Ireland to return, Amy endured, persevered, and she fully committed to Christ to serve these little children and the society where she was living in, in India. Even though being bedridden for 20 years, God used Amy's writing skills, endowed her with this fantastic wisdom and discernment. She wrote 37 books and many hymns which impacted uh, Indian church at the time. On her return to UK at the age of 83, someone boasted about her sacrifice. With a lot of humility, Amy responded by saying, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything that I do be called sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Despite Amy's weakness, God used Amy to extend his kingdom in Tamil Nadu. Her legacy lives on. This is God's wisdom working out through her vulnerabilities. Our vulnerabilities will turn to strength if we submit to the Lord. Despite whatever vulnerabilities that we are having, once we submit them to the Lord, He knows the best how to make use of them to extend His kingdom here on earth. One of the contributions of missionaries' missionaries work I should highlight is their gift of um, written language to particular tribal cultures where there's no dialect of their own. And these missionaries, when they come, they spend their entire lifetime learning their language and creating a script, a dialect for them, teaching them how to write, teaching them how to read, and also translating Bible. And when they, and, and it's not five years time, it's not two years time, it's not 10 years time. Sometimes they took 20 or 30 years, they lived with them, created a language for them in which they can read their own Bible. What a gift, what a gift to give to a people. They translated Bible. The significant part is uh, we have 1,652 languages officially known. <laughs> uh, so Bible Society of India translated so far, translated Bible into 72 languages and the New Testament into another 80 languages. So we have so many other languages where we have to translate. And, and all this framework was a gift given to us by these missionaries. And uh, I know there's one, um, <clears throat> she's uh, in Maharashtra, she, her name is Pandita Ramabai. And she's the, among the first converts, Hindu converts from the high caste Brahmin. She's the first woman to translate the whole Bible from Hebrew, Greek, to a vernacular local language. Perhaps I think she's the first woman to translate the Bible. I'm not sure, I need to check. But she's the first woman. I'm talking about 18, 1850s. No handbooks of grammar that time available in India that time. 
So uh, she requested these missionaries when they are coming, please bring this Gesenius Hebrew grammar and lexicons so that she, she learned Hebrew Greek on her own those days. No Bible works, <laughs> no softwares, no handbooks. She persevered, translated the whole Bible into Gujarati uh, language. Such an amazing work. God is at work among these missionaries who demonstrated love, number one, for the people without patronizing them, sacrificed their comforts, endured hardships, and sometimes personal losses. It is only possible because they were captivated by the love of God. Now, of course, when you think of India, definitely we think of persecution. Persecution is real. The Open Doors UK ranks India as the 11th in the highest persecution rate. The religious nationalism, nationalism of the current government has threatened the secular fabric of Indian constitution. I'm, I'm reminded by um, Mahatma Gandhi's uh, words. He says, I do not expect India of my dreams to develop concerning religion to be fully Hindu, fully Christian, or fully Muslim, but I do want it to be holy, tolerant with its religion, working side by side. But sadly, here and there you see that's not the case. One of my closest friends, <coughs> sorry, a survivor of persecution um, in Kandamal district in Orissa told me how a group of Hindu fundamentalists dragged him out of the service, his wife and his children too, and he was beaten up while they abused his full-term pregnant wife. Later, he was asked to refute his faith while threatening to kill his wife and children. Despite being tortured, his wife cried out, asking him not to refute his faith. Eventually, she was killed, but he did not refute his faith. And he still serves the same church, even today. This is what, my friends, persecution is, is a reality. Yes, so is Christian resilience. The more the Indian church was persecuted, it grew much stronger. Sometimes we do not know how privileged we are here to say Jesus is mine. In some places, it comes with a dear cost and people are willing to pay that cost no matter what. It grieves my heart sometimes to hear that particular church has been closed down and this particular church has been turned into flats. It grieves my heart. Despite having no persecution, the churches are depleting in number here. What are we going to do about it? Now let me end with my personal anecdote. God's work in this Indian. Now don't be shocked. It, it goes as, 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 far, as far as 1700s. In the late 1800s, a young and newly ordained Baptist minister was interrupted abruptly by a senior minister saying, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert heathens, he will do it 
without consulting you or me. Thanks to, uh, thank God, I thank God Dr. William Carey did not take this word seriously. <laughs> On 10th of January 1800, William Carey established the Sarampur Mission of Baptist Missionary Society. This was, sorry, um, <clears throat> this was after seven years Carey toiled in Calcutta. In 1818, Carey was joined by Dr. Joshua Marshman and William Ward and established Sarampur College, which now is a university, uh, which um, stands for the instruction of Asiatic Christians and other youths in the Eastern literature and European science. And thus begins the Indian Renaissance movement, if you'd like to call it. However, the Sarampur trio had to go through a lot of ordeal to keep it running. First of all, personal losses. Kerry's uh, wife passed away, his son passed away, and in between, the, his whole work was burned down in a, in a, in a fire accident. And lock, lack of funds, no funds at all. British government has not helped Kerry at the time, um, as expected made the next 10 years excruciatingly difficult for this university to exist. In 1828, the Cooper Baptist Church, under the leadership of the First Minister Jonathan Watson, extended financial support to Dr. Marshman and his nephews, uh, and Kerry's nephew, for the Sarampur mission. Little did I know, <laughs> 200 plus years I would graduate from that university and come to Cooper Baptist Church being its minister. How mysterious God, how mysterious. He must be really crazy in a way, <laughs> but in a good way. I remember Pastor Abby said in my, on my induction, you are here to say thank you. So am I. God indeed at work in India among the Indians and yourself. As I conclude, God intervened in the history of India, beginning with St. Thomas and many missionaries from the West. However, the task of reaching the masses of India fell in the hands of Indian Christians who ventured into contextualizing the gospel in an Indian cup, so dexterously maintaining its Christian essence. The persecution is real, and the pain of being marginalized also is excruciating. But at the same time, the church is growing substantially in quantity and quality. And God used many missionaries from the West and the Indian Christians who sacrificially, without any biases, non-patronizingly worked for the extension of God's kingdom. Indeed, mission and evangelism are incarnational. The word became flesh, and it has to be that way. Perhaps this is a paradigm we can internalize in our churches and the members to reach out to our own local communities here. The question is, are we willing? Can we risk everything for the Lord? I leave these questions for you to ponder, but I would like to join you in prayer and support in reaching people around. Shall we pray?
Father God, we thank you that you have spoken to us this evening. How mysterious are you, Lord, that you bring people from different parts of the world for your name to be glorified. Lord, we pray that you ignite our passion for you, O Lord, so that we could we could break the barriers of region, religion, language, race, just to preach the good news of your gospel with conviction in our hearts. Lord, may you rise people in this congregation to be your missionaries. May you rise your servants from this congregation, O Lord, so that they would reach out to people that necessarily may not speak their own language. There's so much of work to be done. There's so much of work to be done. But we pray that you anoint us with your spirit, equip us with all the skills that we need to preach your word with courage, but in love and with love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.